Content warnings for this episode include racism, grief, and death. Additionally, we encountered some audio issues that have been mostly corrected, but unfortunately, there may be some occasional and mild sound distortion. to Horror Nerds at Church, a ridiculously queer podcast where we take a deep dive into a horror film and talk about what it can teach us about God, the Bible, and each other. My name is Pace, and I am the uh, no vacancy sign that is glowing bright red for all the humans who pass by. And my name is Emily, and I am the sunrise about to burn up completely. And I am Justin. I'm the exhausted parent of three feral children. (laughs) <laughs> love it uh so yeah we have a special guest uh justin thornberg am i saying that correctly awesome so justin he him or they them is an artist an activist a parent spouse pastor and death doula uh justin lives in indianapolis and is the pastor of emerson avenue baptist church thank you so much for being here being here yeah glad to be here thanks for having me yay uh can you say a little bit about what i mean, i know um and I'm sure Emily knows too what a death doula is, but like for our listeners who might not, uh, can you say a little bit about what that is and how you got into that work? Because it's such a fascinating thing. Uh, it's, it's a relatively new venture for me. Um, probably in the last year or so, I've uh, started really uh, trying to work in that area. I've felt a call into that, that work for a while. Um, it's a, a death doula or death midwife or death companion. There are many names for it. Um, we accompany folks um, uh, on, on, on the final, final steps of life's journey, um, you know, and, and different doulas or companions sort of have different focuses of their work. Um, some sit vigil with folks, some uh, work on legacy work. Uh, my, my work does a lot of uh, work in the pre-planning areas. Um, having those conversations with, um, with family members, um, you know, helping folks understand the difference between DNR and a POA and, a, uh, all of the advanced directives. And it came yeah, yeah. from my, my life's story of, uh, uh, 23 years ago, my dad died and it was a, a long term illness, but it was a very quick, uh, last 24 hours, um, in that. He had a heart attack, which in somebody that hadn't had the illness he'd had for so long could have been treatable. But um, within 24 hours, he was gone. Um, But in those 24 hours, um, we realized how much we didn't know and didn't have done. Uh, So we spent, instead of being fully present in the moment with him, trying to get a hold of the lawyer so we could do the advanced directives when he was lucid enough to sign and all of that mm-hmm. stuff. And so I, I want to help people get so that they can be present in that moment um, at, at the end of life of their loved ones or themselves. Um, I also am working on creating a class for, you know, folks our ages and, you know, Gen X, millennials um, who 
have older parents and who won't talk about death and dying and are, are running from it. And so uh, how do we talk to our parents about death and dying um, class? So that's, yeah, so that's, that, that's um, what I'm doing with that right now. So. My, my aunt died in the fall and that's the first one of, aside from my uncle who had complicating things when I was in elementary school, that's the first of their generation. And that's the oldest generation right now in our family. And she went into hospice care, but there was so much that like I knew because I've worked as a hospice, as a hospital chaplain and I've worked with hospice chaplains, but her spouse didn't know those sorts of things. And it was just like, okay, I'm going to sit with her and do the like in the next weeks, what do you want? music wise what do you want visually what do you want like all of those pieces because she had done the other work with my mom because they had had to do it for their parents and so they were more familiar with it but like yeah nobody wants to talk about it and you know you you mentioned the hospice and it's um you know one one thing that shocks people is hospice isn't there 24 Mm 7 you know like when, when when somebody is dying know and you hear hospice you think oh they're gonna have like round the clock care and no that that poor hospice nurse has probably got 24 people that she's there they are seeing um and so they're going to be there long enough to teach you how to administer the medication Mm -hmm. that are necessary and stuff Mm -hmm. and so we we work alongside hospice um in that and helping um, empower folks yeah. yeah that that's so fascinating one of the things that i had wanted to do I think it was back in December, I originally had a guest on who was going to talk about, who is a hospice chaplain, and we're going to talk about like end of life care and stuff like that and making kind of having these conversations and uh, all that. And then that didn't work out for scheduling reasons. But now it's like, now I have another connection that might be even better with this for a future minisode. So maybe we'll have you back on for something like that if you would like, because that's awesome. I mean, that would be a really fascinating, like, mini-sode mini-series to just do, like, death and dying yeah. and talk about it from a lot of perspectives. Yeah. Yep. And all the horror stories that people have around that, because there are plenty. Mm-hmm. Fun. This is, as a pastor and clergy person, you know, especially in my context, which is a poor um, inner city context, you go into a funeral home with a family and mm-hmm. they're there trying to upsell this family that, you know, is, is coming in with yeah. a check from the, the trustee, Yeah, you know, it's like, yeah, there's a horror story. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's, it is a difficult business, but also like a holy business. I, ha- my experience, especially in small towns of, like death and dying is like the funeral home directors in small towns. Um, one of my parishioners one time had retired, but was previously a funeral home director. And there's, there is this beauty and holiness in the work that they do. Yeah. Um, and in the ways that they like, when they do it, when it, when it's not just trying to upsell right. the next person, cause you're in a city and you've got your pick. And whatever, <laughs> yeah. May, May his grandfather. Yeah. Uh, for years after he retired, his job was, you know, mowing the funeral or the cemetery's lawn. 
uh, and driving the hearse for the local funeral. And mm-hmm. just like, yeah, it was experiencing small town uh, funeral home was different, much different and much, yeah. more, much less sanitized than. Yeah. Now comes the fun part where Pace does a really bad transition to announcements <laughs> and general check-in after this really deep and beautiful conversation about end of life stuff. Although, I mean, we are talking about like a hotel for the undead. So, I mean, it all kind of works. Also, that's why our tagline, right? <laughs> that's why one of our taglines is to not to NB to transition, exactly. <laughs> which is now, which I will say now on air which is available in our merch store as a shirt because Ooh. it's not at the time of this recording, but God help me oh. if it's not, up there by the time this episode drops <laughs> at the end of this month. So, anyway, um, Fair. Fair. I'm excited to get it. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, okay. Well, I have a few announcements. Uh, first is this movie, which we'll be talking about more in more detail. Uh, Hotel Transylvania is one of our kid-friendly movies. Each season, we try to do something that is just markedly kid-friendly and or not scary. Um, so we've done Hocus Pocus in the past. We've done The Mummy with Brendan Fraser. We've we've had a recent Bluetooth on Vampirina uh, for our Patreon subscribers. So this is this season's um, entry into that, uh, which is just a storable computer animated film. We'll get more into that uh, a little bit later. But also, this season hasn't been that scary to begin with. Except for how bad the Twilight movies are. True. Honestly. Uh that is yeah, yeah, yeah. I although I, it, like for the through the first 30 minutes of the first one and like yeah terrified and... i mean i mean the episodes that we've recorded have been great because we've had like our first our first guest episode was our first guest for the first movie was someone who grew up in the lds church and so we got to dig into the lds theology because stephanie meyer is lds yeah. but yeah the movies themselves are uh, yeah. fun. but at least this one is a kid more kid accessible movie and actually is fun uh compared to twilight i do think though that our scariest movie we haven't recorded or seen 30 days of night which is our last movie this season uh which is our scary vampire movie but i still think it's not gonna be as scary as passion of the christ i think that one takes the cake for the scariest movie That's we've fair. done this season yeah so, that one is very scary. Very scary. Uh, yep. Uh, also, well, speaking of that, we're wrapping up the season, so um, we have one more movie after this one that we're covering, which is, as I just said, Thirty Days a Night, and then we have two retrospectives, which is the first time we're doing that. So, um, a retrospective: what we've done at the end of each season thus far is we've looked at the franchise we covered. So, the, for the first season, it was Halloween. Second season, it was. Um, Friday the 13th, and we did an episode devoted to kind of the theme, religious and theological themes, uh, some of the high points of it, ranking the movies, kind of just covering like some of the big picture stuff. Uh, but with vampires for the season, uh, vampires is, are such a literary genre that we thought it would be fun to do too. So we're going to, our first retrospective is going to be on vampire literature, and we're going to talk about. Uh, Dracula, Carmilla by Sheridan LeFou, uh, like all the greats in vampire literature. We'll talk about Interview with the Vampire by Anne Rice, I Am Legend by Richard Matheson, all the kind of like... The Twilight. Yeah, 
the Twilight books. I downloaded oh, to my Kindle the um, <laughs> Twilight, the Illustrated Twilight Guide, which gave me all sorts of information I was not expecting <laughs> about the behind the scenes stuff. So definitely come back for that one. We'll have guest, uh, former uh, podcast guest co-host uh, returning. Uh, Pete will be joining us along with Emily for that one, for the literature mm-hmm. one. And then f- we will have our Twilight retrospective to talk about the Twilight movies and more broadly the vampires in general and also talk about some of the uh, we've been keeping track of them throughout, but the vampire lore that the various vampire franchises and stuff uh, cover um, in our va- vampire film retrospective, which will come out the week after that. So, mm-hmm. And then we can see if there's anything that they actually all agree on. <laughs> right. And also anything that they all agree on except for Twilight. True. Because Do the vampires glitter? Only in glitters. Twilight. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Uh... And then um, I guess it now comes time for our favorite. Do you have a real life church horror story? So this can be supernatural. This can be just church people being shitty to one another. However you define it. But we asked this of all our guests. Yeah, I do actually. And, you know, it's not really a long story. It's more of a, an experiential uh, thing. But um, I, growing up, I was a feral church child. You know, I was one of the ones who was, <laughs> you know, allowed to roam around the building while mom was at choir practice and dad was in business meeting or vice versa. So my friends and I would just find all of the nooks and crannies and uh, all, all, all the spaces in, our, in the church I was growing up in. And it wasn't long after I had seen Nightmare on Elm Street for the first time. I found the boiler room of the church. <laughs> and and this church was it was, you know, built in the 50s or 60s, but it was still uh the the, the terrifying uh boiler room. Uh and so I went in there alone <laughs> because, you know, I'm 12, 13, however old I was and uh yeah, and so I get in there, and you know it's got these twisty doorknobs that are sometimes a little sketchy. Um, and yeah, I got stuck in the boiler room, um, having just oh. seen Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Knowing that the custodian was gone for the day. Um, oh, luckily, no. I, wa- I, I was able to finally jimmy the door open. It was just—it okay, okay. was uh, um, a very uh, real experience in that moment. <laughs> Don't fall asleep while you're in that boy. Right, <laughs> right, and so. Oh my goodness, that that I have a similar story in that my mom's first call. My mom is a pastor. Uh, was in a very rural country church, um, in Northwest Frederick County, which is Northwest Maryland. So, like rural farmland country country and um she was first call pastor i was like six or seven I, I was pretty young and so she and my dad did this fundraiser around halloween time of like turning the house and I mean, the church into a haunted house to like make money and stuff for the community it was very successful my dad dressed up as freddy krueger and was in his station was in the church's boiler room so that was making me think of that exactly 100 mm-hmm. uh 
right? But then my mom got in huge trouble with the church council because apparently Halloween is a satanic holiday and there are all sorts of members that the older members oh, of the church no. who are all sorts of angry and bent out of shape that they did a fundraiser using Halloween. Uh, so there's, there's the horror story now, now, right there. Right, exactly. Yeah. Now yeah. I've learned as somebody who frequently works in church, I always ask before I do some, usually I do a lot of work with youth. So I, whenever we have a youth group costume party and stuff, I always make sure to ask the pastor and the church council people like, is it okay if we do Halloween? Because sometimes people don't like that. <laughs> And they usually look at me like, you're so weird. Why would you even ask that? But then I tell that story and they're like, oh, yeah. Well, I mean, I, my, my youth group at a youth thing is where I was introduced to Rocky Horror Picture Show. So, oh, <laughs> yeah. Nice. Yeah. Just the, the youth uh, director at the time was obsessed with it. Like, what, like when it first came out, it's like, all right, you all are old enough to be able to see this movie. <laughs> we, we, we didn't tell our parents about that until much later. Yeah. So how did you actually get out of the boiler room? Oh, I finally was able to like jimmy the door, like just, okay. Yeah, oh, okay. yeah. I mean, it, it didn't lock. It was just like sort of really stuck and tight. Oh, really, oh, shaky. really shaky. Yeah. yeah. So I live in a 100 year old row home in Baltimore. So I know those doorknobs that like, oh, the latch didn't latch. So now the door just like shakes a little when the wind blows and yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Uh, speaking of, let me try a y- yummy transition again. Speaking of old houses and buildings, we have this really what? old hotel, uh, Hotel Transylvania, <laughs> directed by Gendy Tartakovsky, came out in 2012. Uh, have you all seen this movie before? And if so, what was your first time seeing it? This was my first time seeing it, was for this episode. So. It was cute. I liked it. Many times I have an 11-year-old, a 6-year-old, and a 3-year-old. And oh, wow. we've seen all four of them uh, multiple times. Highlight of the I summer was yeah. catching... Or no, it wasn't. It was supposed to have come out in the summer, I think, the fourth one. But it came out around Christmas time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Watched it. I have to quick ask, Emily. Have you seen any of the movies a season before? Aside from the Twilight ones before this before the i saw passion of the christ with my youth group yeah but that was it i think i love it see we're expanding emily's horizons here at horror nerds at church we are indeed uh i really honestly cannot remember the first time i've seen this movie which is a sign that it's been a decade since this movie came out came out 10 years ago or am i just getting old i don't know but i know i've seen it before I've seen all of them. I've seen th- the second and third one in theaters. And the fourth one, of course, was really some prime. So I saw it at home in my living room during COVID, like the rest of us. But um, it's a fun franchise. I loved it. I uh, just don't remember when I've seen this particular one for the first time. So TV show, too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I have not seen that. Have you seen the TV show? I've seen a few of them. I've seen a few of them. Okay. okay. That's dangerous. <laughs> It's only three seasons yes. long, so you don't have to worry about it being like the Tangled Ever After one. You're still stuck That's in. That's what they say. Tangled is only three seasons, too, Pace. <laughs> but I'm on the third season now, yeah. so I'm almost done with that one. I have this thing where I need to, like, complete. Unless it's absolutely horrid, I will, like, 
watch an episode, watch a show and finish it. But you're I do want to finish yeah. watching. Yeah, I do want to finish watching Hotel Transylvania. One thing I did notice in the show is um, the, um, the guy in the show, in the movie. Um, I don't remember what his name is. Johnny. The like boyfriend. Johnny. Johnny. Johnny looked a lot like the human in Smallfoot, and they definitely had a Bigfoot from Smallfoot in, like, it was the same design. Oh, I wonder. And Smallfoot came out later, so I think they used that to make the, like, to design the Yetis for the movie Smallfoot. That's interesting. I did not make that connection. Um, It's by Warner Animation Group, which is interesting because this one was... Uh, Columbia Pictures, which is part of Sony, so different animation companies. Hmm. So I love that they connect. Because yeah, I just pulled it up it on Wikipedia exactly. and I already see the poster, and I'm like, yeah, they do kind of look familiar. A small fit is a movie Emily introduced me to, so it goes both ways. We go <laughs> to see list. I haven't seen it. It's adorable. It's adorable. Yeah. <laughs> I, love I love it. So definitely recommend. Awesome. Hotel Transylvania was. Um, a little bit behind the scenes info. Uh, it was conceived by Todd Durham, who created an entire show bible for the concept, which included like merchandising plans and franchise tentpole ideas and all sorts of stuff. And basically wow. gave it to showed up unsolicited Columbia Pictures and said, "Here, I have this idea. Here's the bible for it. What do you think?" They loved it. Um, they sent it over to Sony Pictures Animation, where it was fast tracked for production. Um, it had a little bit of development held with the six going through six directors before they landed on Gendy Tartakovsky uh, who made his uh, directorial feature film debut uh, with this film he was previously known for doing Samurai Jack Star Wars Clone Wars the hand-drawn one not the computer animated one stuff like that uh, mostly for Cartoon Network so but this was his first feature film uh that he purposefully wanted the animation to be exaggerated and fun as opposed to the hyper-realistic animation that was kind of more common. I think I think this movie and others that came after it kind of helped push animation more towards cartoonish. But there was a period in the late 2000s, early 2010s, where like everybody was trying to polar express it and make it look so uncanny yeah. valley Not creepy. <laughs> mm-hmm. So... Um, do not do a Polar Express. Right. The movie. The book was fantastic. I loved Polar Express, the book, but the movie. A little no. Uncanny Valley for me. Yeah. Creeps me yeah. out. Speaking of creepy movie, horror movies. That, that yeah. Anyway, uh, Miley Cyrus was originally supposed to voice Mavis, but she was fired um, a few months after she was announced. She claims it was because pics of her dropped online of her licking a penis-shaped birthday cake that she had for her boyfriend at the time, Liam Hensworth. Uh, so, you know, purity culture, we can't have kids be find out about penis-shaped yeah, cakes funny. through this, so we will fire Miley Cyrus. Um, and then also just, uh, I'm sure fans of this probably recognize, uh, of this franchise, but also of the horror in general, will probably recognize right off the back. Uh, that this movie really plays with the uh, Universal Monsters. It's not a Universal Pictures uh, film yet. They yet we have our Frankenstein 
well, Frankenstein's monster, but they call him Frankenstein in this. We have our Wolfman, we have our Invisible Man, we have our Mummy, we have our Dracula. We're only missing, uh, we even have Hunchback of Notre Dame. We're only missing the Phantom of the Opera and the Creature from the Black Lagoon, although the Phantom of the Opera shows up in the sequel as the Ooh. organist for their wedding. Spoilers. Uh- <laughs> <gasps> Spoilers? Pace! I did not know they got married. They're only 118 and right. 21. Yep. Uh, but yeah, Tartoski named some of the more campy and comedic Universal Monster films. Like, if you've never seen the Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein and Abbott and Costello meet the mummy, uh, they're both classic, fun, campy Universal films. And you can definitely see their inspiration. Totally. In, when I saw design. that on your cheat sheet, I, I was like, oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I I love the Abbott and Costello, right? I haven't seen any of them. I'm old, so <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm woefully out of date. You did see Universal's yeah. 1931 Dracula, though, so you've seen at least one of the Universal monster films because I did because that was the first episode of the season. Yep. <laughs> um, and it inspired me to. I've been listening through Dracula the Bram Stoker on audiobook. So. Can't wait to hear your thoughts in our literature retrospective. I mean, the best part is that most of the time I'm listening to it when I'm driving back from doing pulpit supply in DC. (laughs) So it's like a morning of church and then Dracula. I mean, how else can it be? Right. It's true. It fits really well with the podcast. Uh, This for a kid's movie, this has a huge comedic voice cast uh had adam sandler kevin james andy samberg selena gomez who replaced my cyrus uh fran drescher steve buscemi molly shannon david spade CeeLo green and john lovitz and all of them have returned for most of the sequels i think maybe one or two of them were replaced in later sequels but wait who's fran drescher she played the nanny in the sitcom the nanny no who does she play? oh who does she who play does she, play she plays uh frankenstein's wife who has a name but i can't think ah uh, okay yeah her voice is not quite as iconic in the in hotel transylvania as i'm used to yeah yeah and, and then what um uh, megan mullally and nick offerman are in later ones yeah. three and four is johnny's parents yeah oh um Three, so we're already kind of t- talking about this, but three sequels followed uh, Hotel Transylvania 2, Hotel Transylvania 3, Summer Vacation, and Transformania, Hotel Transylvania, Transformania, uh, the latest of which dropped on Amazon Prime this year. And there was a short lived prequel TV series, which you're talking about, Justin, that you've seen a few episodes of, which came out from 2017 to 2020. Uh, video games, merch, all sorts of stuff. So huge, continuing, and ongoing franchise. Because there was a Bible for it. Right. <laughs> to come up with like such a fully developed co- concept. I want, I do wonder like how much changed in the like six or so years from of production from when he dropped okay. off the Bible to when the film came out. But still, I, I, I would like to hear his whole backstory of where the, the Bible came from. Like yeah. his divine inspiration. Oh, um, <laughs> yeah. Love it. No, that's like stories he would tell to his kids or, you know just find that out yeah yeah because it's it's a it's a cute i like it's a cute concept and it's a really good concept for talking for like actually 
digging into difference and diversity and who we villainize yeah. and how we villainize people. And... Yep, yep. Well, I guess we'll go through the summary of this movie. So it starts out in the late 1800s with Dracula, played by Adam Sandler, in a really cheesy Bela Lugosi accent. Um, after losing his wife Martha to an angry mob, takes his infant daughter Mavis to his new monsters-only hotel in Transylvania. We learned that Martha was Dracula's one true love, and that they zinged, uh, as they call it, when they saw each other. Basically, love at first sight, heart eyes, the whole deal. Uh, yeah, there's like a purpley, pinky right cloud that like goes over the eyes. I, I love how I, I guess it's like imprinting in twilight i was not gonna say it but yes (laughs) it feels the same and if you think about it right like mavis is 118 and johnny is 21 huge different in age difference in age not quite the same dynamic as i guess by now we've gone into this one as jacob and renesme but still a creepy age difference there in the fact that one of them was like literally an infant when she was imprinted on mm-hmm. spoilers for breaking dawn part one which has already been Newborn on this podcast for baby. A yeah um anyway so yeah the hotel is supposed to be a safe space for monsters to retreat as humans are shown to be dangerous and prejudiced against monsters uh the hotel is kind of fun like a staff by zombies we have quasimodo working in the kitchen it looks like a giant gothic palace we have shrunken heads who speak in african-american vernacular vernacular english which is a little gross i'm glad they're going for the sequels if i remember correctly but overall like it's a really cute concept of how they like took this hotel and spookified it Mm -hmm. yeah and then present so fast forward to present day, Mavis is now 118. Uh, she's played by Selena Gomez, and which is apparently the coming of age for vampires. Dracula invites all of his monster friends over, including Wayne and Wanda, Werewolf, and their huge litter of children. Frankenstein, or Frankenstein's monster, they just call him Frankenstein. And his, the Steins. Yep, the Steins, and his wife Eunice. Uh, Griffin the Invisible Man, Murray the Mummy. Mavis wants nothing more than to see the outside world, which her father promised her she could do at that age. Uh, So with his blessing, she goes out to a nearby village and learns that humans still fear monster kind and they try to set her on fire. She returns home vowing never to leave again. But we find out that Dracula has orchestrated the whole thing. The town was not real. The humans were actually a zombie staff in human cosplay, etc. in order to scare Mavis from the human world. Unintentionally, though, a actual human, Johnny, played by Andy Samberg, sees the fake town and follows the zombies back to the castle. He comes across Dracula, who is horrified that human has infiltrated the castle. And so to keep his reputation of Hotel Transylvania being completely human free, uh, he dresses Johnny up as a monster, as one of Frankenstein's cousins, and has... His, the cousin of his right arm. Right? <laughs> love it. Um, and I love how Frankenstein just, like, buys it. He's like, yeah, cool. Makes sense. Okay. Uh, and so he has him play off that apparently Johnny's there to help plan Mavis's birthday party. And of course, Johnny's ideas are awesome and Mavis loves her party. Uh, she zings with Johnny, thinking he's a monster. Uh, and the two seem like they could live happily ever after, except Mavis doesn't know Johnny is human. Uh, 
Dracula tries to keep Mavis and Johnny separate, but Mavis and Johnny keep crossing paths. The relationship keeps deepening. Eventually, the cook Quasimodo finds out Johnny is human after. And after being frozen by Dracula and some other shenanigans, he's able to escape, announces in front of the whole party that Johnny is indeed human. Mavis is shocked, but doesn't care. She still loves Johnny, but Johnny, because of Dracula's threats, uh, actual threats of violence to him, uh, pretends he doesn't love her in return and is, in fact, disgusted by her monsterness. So he leaves. I also thought that part of it was his, like, the push from Dracula. Like, yes, the threats from Dracula, but also the, like, okay but really what's gonna happen if people find out that monsters and he's like okay yeah yeah, she is safer if i am not in her life that's true yeah that's a good point yeah and also threats from dracula yeah yep and so poor mavis is heartbroken she returns to her room and opens well actually i guess it's to the roof of the castle of the hotel and opens her mother's present that was set aside for her 118th birthday which tells the story of dracula and martha's zing uh, Dracula discovers this, realizes that he was wrong for trying to keep Johnny and Mavis apart, and along with his friends, goes to find Johnny and bring him back. Shenanigans ensue where they find out that people seem to love monsters now. They crash a monster party of some sort, like a monster celebration party of some sort. <laughs> uh, and then Dracula chases Johnny's plane into the sun and almost gets burnt to a crisp, but is able to inspire Johnny to return after his heartfelt apology and also... Uh, hypnotizing bats. the plane, the pilot of the plane to land the plane. I was gonna say, <laughs> and also like bats fly faster than planes now. Apparently, maybe it's a vampire okay. superpower. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right, I'm writing it down. Yeah, okay. and the sun didn't slow him down too much. I mean, he was like literally on fire and smoking, but he still was able to catch up to the plane. Uh, Johnny returns though. He tells Mavis that their thing was mutual. They kiss, and everything is supposedly happily ever after. <sighs> Sounds a cute, but little cute. Apparently, not completely ever after because there are three more. Movies. I know, and spoilers. Very, very minor spoiler. But one thing I did say to Matt, my husband, after watching the most recent one is, I feel like it's the same conflict between Dracula and Johnny every movie, and there's like no growth from movie to movie. They just keep. Dracula just keeps getting annoyed that Johnny is so human. It's like, okay, we got it. We've already seen three movies about this now. But anyway, that's for later. Uh, but still, oh, cute. The twist in three is. is... Yeah, 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 that's, that's fun. fun. Bum, bum, bum. Oh, I can't we... wait to watch it all. <laughs> <laughs> and it's so weird. Like, the first one, at the time that we are recording this, the first one we had to rent, because it's not anywhere streaming the first three are not streaming anywhere just the fourth one is on prime so i'll have to make a trip to the library yeah well i guess we can get into some vampire lore surprisingly like this because you can tell that there is like a whole show bible for this like there was actual thought put into this because there's even a conversation where johnny is asking dracula questions that get into some of this lore so it's like i I just love it so yeah uh internal consistency yep do vampires have fangs? Yes. And they are always there. They never, like, disappear. And more uh, generally, like, the appearance of Dracula and all the vampires, but especially, like, Dracula, is based on Lugosi's Dracula from 1931. Like, intentionally very much that cape, that very, mm-hmm. like, peak, widow's peak yeah. hairline, all of it. Which is what I think of as classic Dracula. Yeah. Like... 
I'm thinking of the classic look. Yep, yep. Uh, do we ever see any mirrors in this? I don't think so. I don't think so. I was trying to think of that. Uh, and I don't even know if we've seen mirrors. I got confused any for of a the second. Realms. I was like, okay, we're doing a dance thing. But that was what we do in the shadow. Yeah. Mm. I don't know. Maybe they just like don't have the mirrors so that they don't have to deal with not being reflected. True. You don't need them. Yep. Although I guess other people probably do. Do vampires have to drink blood to live? It doesn't seem so because Mavis is given worm pancakes for her birthday. But also <laughs> Dracula says that human blood is so fatty you never know where it's been. So he uses blood substitutes. Like blood beaters. <laughs> I love it. Instead of egg beaters. <laughs> so cute. It's fantastic. But they they also mention a progression from mosquitoes to frogs and mice. And Mavis talks about eating mice with her dad Yeah, at one point. So, fun. Uh, like eat more than just drink. Yep. Uh, they, uh, do they sleep at night? Like, at, clearly daylight and sunlight is painful to them. Doesn't seem to be lethal right away, although it kind of is implied that he would die if he's out there too long because he's literally catching on fire as a bat. <laughs> but, like, at and they seem awake at night, but do they typically sleep during the day? I don't know. That wasn't fully covered. Um, how do you repel them? Surprising for a kid's show. It doesn't talk about crucifixes at all. Who would have guessed? But <laughs> they do have an allergy to garlic, which his throat swells, which I love. Uh, and a, yeah. wood, a wood stake to the heart would kill him. But who wouldn't that kill? Exactly. <laughs> I love that line. Also, fire is bad. Presumably, that's how Martha died. Oh yeah, because yeah. he's like terrified of fire. But then the that raises the question for me of like, what were the lamps at the hotel made of? Because there are lamps all over the hotel to light the place. Is it that it's like contained fire, or did they somehow get electricity going for the hotel? Could be. I mean, we have witches there. It could be, like, magic sort of light. Who knows? Yeah. I This is one of the weird things for me in this movie is the clothing, when they change into a bat, <laughs> changes with them. They just transform into, like, a naked bat, except sometimes when they're, like, wearing a Hawaiian shirt, and then they transform into a bat with a Hawaiian shirt. So I wonder, like... What clothes transforms and what clothes does it? It just is so very strange I think it's the super extra fashionable things like Hawaiian shirts stay super extra fashionable as a bat. That's my theory. That's such a trans thing to say. The only people I know who love Hawaiian shirts <laughs> are that... trans folks <laughs> and cis white youth pastors. Like those are the only oh, people who like Hawaiian so... shirts. I don't actually, I'm not actually a Hawaiian shirt person. My dad was growing up. He and um, another friend, like our family friends, the dad in that family would like get each other Hawaiian shirts for Christmas every year or something. My my dad would get them and drive my mom nuts. She hated them. (laughs) So my dad would just keep getting them. (laughs) Yeah. There was somebody that we went to high school to seminary with I think made Hawaiian I think Micah made Hawaiian shirts into clergy shirts somebody did I think it was Micah I thought you were going to say stoles at first and I was like I like the idea of like a Hawaiian 
pattern like theme stole yeah it'd be a cool a stole clergy shirt it's a little yeah. youth pastor <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh that's fair do yeah. these vampires um, have bodily fluids presumably since they can have kids and that requires some amount of bodily fluid exchange yes is it like the bodily fluid we find out in twilight where the only fluid they have is venom and so it's yeah or it's definitely not the same as twilight because both of the parents are vampires true and that is impossible in twilight so it's a little bit more like i'm learning so much about twilight like yeah, <laughs> it's it, it's an adventure. I bet. Yeah, it's a looming specter over the season of miserableness. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. but it is it is more like vampire dies. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. So are vampires damned in this world? I mean, it's a kid show, so I don't really go into it. But what do we think? Yeah, I I don't think so. I'm I'm gonna go out on a limb and say I don't. Yeah. Well, I, yeah. There's just I don't know. There's something about the 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 world that they're in. Yeah, I don't know. I I don't know where I'm going with that thought. Other than than there's something about the way the world carries itself that that makes me think that that it's not. uh, Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think. I think for me, part of it is the connection and Vampirina does this too, right? Like they're kids shows. So are they really going to damn anybody? Yeah. <laughs> Probably not. Um, but there are like, we've, we've now watched several movies where vampires are the like main characters and potentially the protagonists of them. And like with interview with a vampire, totally unknown, like, it, I am I'm not going to state confidently that like vampires are not damned in that one because there's like some really shady stuff that they do. Um, but in this one, right, like there is care, there is concern, there is personality. It is not like I mean, we don't even get the like bloodlust. Like we don't ever see that. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. So like how do you create a community of safety and sanctuary and still be damned. That makes me like even more think of Dracula and the vampires in particular, um, his family as queer coded, right? Like that there are some who might say that you're damned, but what you're really doing is creating a community of love and safety. Which I think lends kind of to the setup of this world of like the human people, at least in Dracula's memory before he created the hotel, of course we find out later that humans are different now, but like when he created the hotel, a lot of these prejudices and stuff like potentially them being damned are from the outside, from humans fearing vampires and not actually reflections of who they are. So I feel like if this show were to come down somewhere, it would probably, or this question would probably be that, but it also made me think when you were talking about Emily and just about like curating community and all this stuff and these are signs of souls like is that really a sign of being a soul is that really a sign of being damned that you can't curate a community so now I feel like in our retrospective we're going to need to talk about what does it mean to be damned and have a soul because those are important questions it's true it's true so superpowers I think they have a lot of superpowers in this what are some of them 
they can they can turn into bats. Can they turn into other things or just bats? It seems like it's just bats in here. Okay. I'm getting a little bit confused. Mm-hmm. The, uh, the pilot, he froze yeah. uh, Quasimodo. Oh, yeah. Freezing. I forgot about that one. Telekinesis, apparently, too. Dracula's able to, like, lift stuff up with his mind. Like, well, it's purpley smoke or something that comes from his body. He's, like, able to lift stuff up and move it around. Do you think it's, Do you think it's fascinating, though, with, though, the, with hypnotism? the hypnotism? Jumping back to the hypnotism. That it does not work through contact lenses, but it does work through air through the glass on an airplane right. cockpit. So... So that's the question then, because we guess that Johnny, well, Johnny guesses that it's because he's wearing contacts, but maybe Johnny is just immune to hypnotism. Maybe that's not fully solved, but it it's is true. very I strange. Think, yeah. I mean, there's a like sense of contact as corrective lenses and accessibility, right? Like contacts are accessible accessibility tools, just like my glasses are, Um so I want like so there's a sense of them being more a part of the person, which so Ooh, if it's yeah. a barrier, if it's a glass barrier, if it's a barrier that is a part of the person that adjusts particularly that adjusts the way the eyes work, and if you're hypnotizing through eyes, the airplane glass is not gonna adjust the way the pilot's eyes work, the way that contact lenses or True. regular glasses would. That's a good point, yeah. Okay. So now I wonder, like, if other supernatural creatures were to need other types of mobility aids, such as, like, if a very old vampire needs a cane or something, if they turn into a bat, would be that would that be part of what turns into a bat with them, or to be like the Hawaiian shirt where they are like a bat holding a prosthetic or something? I don't know. I feel like I think... we need to answer this. And we need to find the Bible and the show Bible and answer these questions. I mean, are there no grandparent vampires? You don't see any in, in this the later one. movies. I, I think that they. I think my guess hypothesis is that it would change, and so as a bat, it would not be visible, not because it's like a it's not a Hawaiian shirt, but because the unless the bat would need it. Oh, right yeah. like but bats mostly fly so if the problem is that they need like if if the disability is around moving legs and so they need a cane to help move legs then they don't need that as a bat yeah because they're flying makes sense and so I wonder, that's my theory now i wonder if any of the vampires need corrective lenses so if we can see little bats with glasses on that'd be so cute <gasps> oh my anyway. gosh that'd be so adorable um yeah also they have super speed yeah, yeah, I bet, oh, yeah. I bet, I bet the, the bat would have glasses. That's cute. Because that would be adorable. It would. Right. Little, oh, little John Lennon part glasses. Part of the answers to our questions. Yeah. yeah. Part of the answers to our questions are literally, would it be cute? If yes, then yes. Would it be cute to have a bat in a Hawaiian shirt? See, now I get it. Even if it makes no other yeah. logical sense. Yeah. Or maybe the bats can yeah. just choose what they keep in their bat form. So maybe... They're like, I like this Hawaiian shirt. I'm going to keep it in bat form. Yeah. I want to be this fashionable. I'm going to keep going on and on about that. (laughs) Anyway, uh, on the other vampire lore, the only other thing I could think of vampire lore-wise is that in vampire world, apparently you have to be 118 before you are 
a legal adult and old enough to drive a hearse. <laughs> That's true. Also, also in the created vampire lore about human, in the created human lore from vampires, humans want to bite toes and steal candy, which turns out not to be true. I mean, some humans do. For the most but... part. For the most part. Yeah. <laughs> but... Any other lore, or are we ready to move to our deep dive? That's all the lore I could think of. Cool. Well, let's get Jesus-y. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, what, what kind of theological, churchy, biblical, anything do any of y'all get from this movie? You know, as... as I mean, uh, I could start, but uh, go ahead. As a death worker, um, you know, I... This time watching it, you know, I was really struck by um, how how Dracula's grief sort of created this whole uh, world, and just got me thinking of like, you know, how can we have the discussions around grief and you know the the possibility that can come out of it, um, grief for his wife's death that that created the hotel, but then to see what the hotel turned into, you know? And so to see both sides of, um, well, I mean, there you go. You got the cross and the empty tomb, <laughs> you know, you have, have, yeah. have, have the grief there uh, that can transform into something um, that, as you see in the later movies can grow. And, uh... I do think it's, I do think that's fascinating though, because the grief in creating the hotel transformed into pretty different ways like it's I mean it's a false binary to like completely separate them but there is the sense of the hotel as a space for community right like that you're talking about that grows from the grief that Dracula experiences but it also is very much a prison built to keep Mavis safe but also contained and in this one spot um yeah, and so it it, and that's the like space of grief that he hasn't dealt with, and the grief that becomes fear, and such a reoccurring trope in children's film. How many like dead moms there are that create overbearing helicoptering dads? Like, I think Finding yeah, Nemo. Yeah, Finding Nemo, great example right there. Um, I'm thinking of like even Sleeping Beauty, the Disney ones. Like they were terrified so they gave the uh, aurora to the fairies like it's just there's so much of this like that terror yeah such a weird trope tangled has that too oh right yeah the tv when it gets into the tv show it's like definitely overbearing dad it addresses that eventually but yeah it's a complicated like there's rarely ever a dead dad that prompts something important or dramatic or like vital to the plot but dead ma killing the mom almost always is a tool to advance the plot mm -hmm. which is like a super common trope is kill a woman yeah. and the plot advances you know, that just gets me thinking of like i i, I just find the um in in this trope the uh, you have the father who is forced into this situation through the death. Yeah, it's just like I, I I think it's kind of a subversive almost 
a, a turn in in the heteronormative you know of storytelling of like you know here quote unquote one who is supposed to be the gruff or what you know fitting in those stereotypes is the one that is now forced into this nurturing role um, yeah. Um, yeah. and just sort of the pushing and pulling that happens in that and he like it starts out and he is like a fish in water right like he is adorable as a parent to a little baby vampire like adorable and so that's like right like it starts out and it's like oh my gosh this is such a like refreshing portrayal of masculinity of like this dad who's adorable and then it moves into like oh no this was still written by men and for men and toxic masculinity is still a thing it's misogyny among construction worker zombies i yeah i have not been doing good on HNAC's drinking game that we began way back in season one. And I th- we probably should redo it now because we have new co-hosts and stuff. But like one of the things that people used to have to take a shot or take a drink with, uh, drink responsibly, folks, of course, uh, is whenever I would bring up Luther. And I have not been bringing up Luther nearly as much as I should this podcast for a Luther scholar. But that what you're saying about like Dracula being such a caring and loving family makes me think of luther's writing uh, or opining on vocation and how he has this really like tender picture of this father changing a child's diapers as making the angels of heaven rejoice by and that's like living out one's true vocation is by caring for their children caring for those in the community and i love how he even in Luther's time is like flipping the scripts on um, gender essentialism a little bit by having the dad doing the nurturing in his example. So I love that this movie picks up on that. So you can take for all of you thirsty people sad that I have not been, you've not been able to drink as much this season. There you go. (laughs) Have a shot for Luther. Yeah. It's, I think the other piece of the, like the way that masculinity is portrayed in this is in Johnny right who is such a like stereotypical cishet white guy right like he comes in he's he's blundering he's oblivious he's just coming in it's all fun to him until he realizes that it's really monsters but like even in the space of like when it's still all fun he literally puts his hand inside a person inside a skeleton and like it doesn't even cross his mind that what he is doing is not consensual. Right. That like it's completely inappropriate. And I was like, and he's just like, this is so cool. And like, yeah. And oh. I think we're going to probably take um, some more time talking about like the safe spaces and stuff of this hotel because that that's very critical, like you were saying earlier, Emily. But just this notion of the straight guy going into a place that he is that is not meant for him but getting offended when he's not welcome there and refusing to leave and just like taking over the space, which was created to keep people like him out for safety reasons. And then he's in here causing actual harm to people. Like it's just such a, such a, I can't tell you the amount of um, queer spaces that are invaded. It's mostly by cis women for their bachelor parties. But I mean, (laughs) but it happens. Gay bars for sure. But yeah. yeah, yeah, 
but that's like that's I think it's interesting because like I I mean I don't actually know who Todd Durham is or anything about like his identities or Gendy Tartakovsky's identities but my assumption is that they are cishet white guys who are doing a movie that they think is going to be cute for kids and maybe like I think there's been leaps that have happened in movie in movies especially movies for kids and growing in growing awareness and better treatment of like masculinity and toxic masculinity and those sorts of things and like maybe the later movies get better at this but at least like for that initial one it's weird to think that 2012 which was only 10 years ago was like we just had no standards when it came to like and when we had no accountability like there was no space to say like of course you shouldn't be portraying people like that and then all of a sudden we we started to get ways to hold movie franchises and others accountable for things and then there started to be kind of more leaps and bounds towards parody if not kind of a more liberative portrayal portrayal of people um even within like this movie that they're like this is supposed to be a great movie (laughs) and it's supposed to be about like creating safe spaces and also we're still gonna have like all of it i mean it's very jk rowling harry potter it's gonna be this like empowering liberative thing oh but also all of these rules still exist unquestioned about how the world works not helpful yeah yeah and on that like uh there's this trope in film of like like this general story is very vanilla in a very helpful good way which is this notion that you know you should look past prejudice and stuff and get to know the people and uh and you can grow and we can all become friends and stuff like that and which is this really nice message but the way it usually comes out in media including this is that it's always at the marginalized person's expense so here we have this person who was literally scared for his life for his daughter's life who lost his wife retreating to a safe space for him but now he's the one who needs to grow and learn humans aren't like that anymore we don't see the people doing the harm actually growing or changing so it it, it always falls on the marginalized folk like even like there's a whole bunch of issues with um the blind side if you've ever seen that movie with the white savior trope mm. with Sandra Bullock and stuff but like that's another yeah. example like there's just so much of this and it's really frustrating so yeah when I think about that like as we are about to begin what for many communities is pride month right like the ways that pride has been re-centered around making it acceptable for this particular idea of family that is two parents and x number of kids um, instead of centering it on the most marginalized in the community instead of centering it on those who are most pressed into the closet in their daily lives and so like that particular part is is the same thing like how are we we just replicate it over and over and over again Um, and as white people right like we do that in 
spaces that are intended to be anti-racist, that are intended to be spaces of resistance against white supremacy. And it's really hard for us to not come in and take over. And Oh, you're going to love when we get to num- movie number four, Emily. Speaking of white ga- white people taking over things. Anyway. <laughs> hmm. I mean, probably. Um, we might have to do it for a movie commentary then yeah. for like June or something. Well, we're going to have another vampire mini season. There's just too much that we couldn't fit into this one. So down the road. And I'm sure maybe Emily will come back for in future uh, vampire season at the very least. I do enjoy. I do enjoy co-hosting Horror Nerds at Church. It is yep. fun. I was thinking for we're way off topic. That's all. That's okay. That's what we do on Horror Nerds at Church. We always get off topic. <laughs> But um, I was thinking for when we do another future miniseries about a particular subgenre of horror, uh, we have several ones like in mind, like doing one about witches, doing one about ghosts. But when we return to vampires at some point, I would love to do one where our franchise we look at is the Underworld franchise, which is like Twilight, but better. Um, every, Twilight, but more weirdly more emo, but... I don't know. It's it's a very interesting. It's vampires versus werewolves, uh, but which was coming out around the same time as Twilight Two, which I think is so funny. We have these two big media franchises on vampires versus werewolves. But anyway, Underworld. I want to do that for Vampire Mini Season Two. Whenever we do that, um, and we'll have time for more Hotel Transylvania stuff probably. So stay tuned for like however long it's going to get till we get to that. <laughs> Season 42. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, uh, but it is, it is in general, it is a really queer coded movie. And I love, I love that part about it. Yeah. Um, the diversity of people, the like different ways people engage in family. Like if, when everybody shows up, it feels like a family reunion yeah. of like all the weirdos. <laughs> And all the queer kids I, coming together. I love the chosen family aspect is so intentionally shown on screen too, with all the different mm-hmm. monsters are different kinds of monsters. It's not just the vampires coming together, but we have you know, the Steins, we have the mummy, we have the invisible person, we have like all the different kind the werewolves, and they're like they're this they're the um token straight couple who brings their brood of children to the gathering to the to the cookout but i just love it it's so fun it's so cute yeah and they're referred to as like the cousin right like it's yeah frame yeah 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 you and yeah and and i just love you know as as a parent you know the idea of being in a space where my kids would be comfortable calling somebody uncle frank and uncle frank would be comfortable like wiping my kids snotty nose you know it's like you know to and so yeah that's one of the things i really appreciate is like how the the monsters like look out for this crazy ass brood (laughs) that only keeps growing (laughs) yeah 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 and that's like that's something that i love about my life where like I do not currently have any kids of my own, but I have like a four-year-old who made a guest appearance on our Vampirina episode and a two-year-old who I adore and we have a great relationship and like we are, we are family to each other. 
um, yeah, so it's, it's those spaces of like, how do we, and it's, it's something that has decreased with the increase of capitalism and industrialization, particularly in this country, but like, we desperately need this, yeah. like, not for nothing in this economy, <laughs> but, um, but how do we go back into a space and create that? And create not even just create, but like re rediscover, refined what has been taken and what has been lost. Yeah, I mean, and that's from, that's the thing too. Is like we don't have to re write a new book for for that. You know, our our grandparents were doing that. You know, and and their grandparents. You know, it yeah. it's in our ancestral DNA to live in these kinds of communities and that's that's you know with with the death work i do it's like it's a return to what was it's not a brand new thing that you know decided no we're doing what our grandparents did you know and it's just been since Mm -hmm. the industrial revolution and the the monetization of everything even even Mm -hmm. the monetization of communities right it's like so it's it's there it's coded in our ancestral dna to know how to do this yeah and i was thinking about that too in terms of particularly like queerness and the work that you do justin as a death doula of like the every once in a while on twitter one of the people i follow tweets a reminder or share or somebody shares it or something of if you are queer, especially, but anybody who is estranged from your fam- if you are estranged from your family, you need to fill out power of attorney, advanced directives, all of that stuff right now because otherwise it will default to next of kin. And the way those decisions are made are blood relation. And you maybe don't want your ex-parent who you haven't talked to in a decade to be making yeah. your end of life decisions about who's allowed at your bedside. And history pace as a quick detour of that historian pace, just to say like, that's one of the reasons why marriage equality was such a thing for the queer rights movement um, was because of those kind of end of life decisions. Like if your partner is not going to be recognized as your partner in the hospital setting, then that's going to be all sorts of issues. And then you have, a strange parent or something and of course now that marriage equality is achieved miraculously for queer people even though it's not for people who with disabilities who live on stipends and stuff like that but just the way like even that has become so commodified and now like gays have so much disposable income because they don't have children so they can have these huge massive destination weddings and we're going to market that to it's like okay it was about protection yeah. and the like hundreds of rights that are afforded when you have a marriage certificate, yep. not necessary. Like, and I mean, you do you, I don't want a giant destination wedding. I grew up in the place where people went for destination weddings. So I have a particular perspective about what that looks like, but like, yeah, we should be able to celebrate in ways that are meaningful and authentic to us. And also, like, it's about rights 
and basic like protections and also if you're going to have a destination wedding at virginia beach and say it's not a traditional wedding but it's actually a very traditional wedding let me just subtweet and then my entire bio family in this episode i'll probably delete that but anyway um so the, the the other thing I was thinking, though, about building community that you're both talking about, though, that I really love is the role of church in that used to be like this really central hub of community building. And since then, the community of church has, especially in this country, as we were talking about, like things with the Industrial Revolution and runaway capitalism has turned more into a social club. But the point is, like, churches have in their own DNA, in their own history, these really grassroots community building social movement sort of roles in history and i would love for the church which i know lots of people are doing this work out there right now and lots of churches and lots of communities lots of pastors but the church writ large i would love for them to kind of get back to that kind of we can actually do a lot of good in this world um and build a lot of community, especially during COVID when a lot of people are feeling isolated, even now as we enter year three and things are going back to normal, I say in quotation marks, when they're really not. While we're <laughs> in the middle of the next wave and nobody's talking about it. But uh, yeah. yeah, an increase of 59, like a 50% increase yesterday, I think, in COVID cases. That's just what's reported. Not, I am not going to go into my rant about how, like, if queer people were responsible for, like, the COVID response, we'd be in a very different place. Like, everybody was like, yay, Fauci, he's done this before. And it's like, yeah, Fauci, the one who, like, let how many people die during the HIV AIDS crisis before he actually did anything? Oh, right. Okay, sure. Yeah. We'll go for him. Yeah. But contact tracing, queer people are great at that. Especially polyamorous people. Yeah, we talked about our polyamory episode. You already gave a little bit of your uh, COVID rant there, which I loved. It's true. Um, It's a good rant. It Um, is. The other thing that, like, I feel like we name every time for every movie because it comes up in every movie because it's so accepted is, like, the way fat phobia is Mm. used as, like, the butt of the joke. Yeah. Right? So the larger mummy, Frankenstein farts behind him or whatever and then everybody blames it on him because of course he's like the one that would fart or like talking about the humans as villains who are getting fatter and yeah and human blood is so fatty which in and of itself doesn't mean anything but within the rest of the context yeah it's just gross don't do it don't do it people um anything else we have for a deep dive or do we want to rate this movie um I love the verse that you connected oh, with yeah. this pace. Yeah, so John 14.2. Um, I have I have the King James version memorized because that's the version I grew up with. I know it's other stuff. But in my father's house, there are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. And I just love this idea of this kind of eschatological, eschatological picture or end times picture of there heaven being a place where you are safe and there's a room for you and there's enough mm-hmm. of everything and i love that this is something that dracula is trying to create for his community here and now there's enough rooms i think in the trivia it says something that there are like two thousand rooms or something in the hotel this huge massive hotel for people from all over the world to come be safe there's a room for you uh, 
Yeah. I, that, um, so my grandfather, his, one of his jobs in his lifetime was to make miniature mansions. So he would do scale model mansions, scale models of mansions in Cheshire, Connecticut, where he lived. And then my grandmother was the interior decorator. So he had like the doorbells rang, all of this stuff. Oh, that's so cute. Um, And so when he died, I picked, we picked John 14, um, for, well, actually, I was in middle school, so I don't know what we did for that. But when my grandmother died, she died after him and when I was in seminary. And so I picked John 14 and Romans 8 as two of the readings because she was Catholic, so I wasn't allowed to read the gospel. But <laughs> um, but this vision, and I actually, like, now I'm imagining, like, my grandfather totally would have made a, like, if if he had been alive, like if if time like the timelines had lined up, he would totally have made a Hotel Transylvania miniature mansion. I love it. That like I could have like if I had asked him when I was, yeah, um, and he had already died. But like, I love this idea of like a Hotel Trans like a mini Hotel Transylvania. Yeah. Um, but I do like it is such a such a comforting passage. Um, Look at that coming full circle to talking about death and dying and transitions and all those things. Indeed, indeed. Out of, I guess we'll move on to rating the film. So, out of ten fangs, how many would you sink into this movie? And this movie doesn't have any kills, so that are shown on screen because it's a kids' movie. And I don't think any of us would want to say that Dracula's wife which is the one death that's mentioned, Martha being killed would be our favorite. So we can skip that part. But instead, like, Excuse do you have, a, have favorite a favorite moment kill. or something? Oh, you have a favorite kill? Okay. Sure. No, it's Favorite fine. moment, it's favorite kill, whatever. And it 10 out of 10, how many out of 10 things? I'll give it a... Okay. <laughs> I'll, give it, I'll give it a seven. I, I enjoy this movie. It's, it's a lot of fun. Um you know, with, with the, some of the issues we've discussed, but I think overall it's a, it's a good movie and it's, you know, it's good for, for having that conversation with my kids, you know, some of these um, conversations. Um, you know, I, I love bats. So, I mean, I have the bat tattoo and bats are my favorite animals. <laughs> so, so, you know, my, my, my favorite is, is, you know, Drac, chasing the plane as the bat it's just like it's, it's so badass it, so <laughs> it really yeah. is you have a bat house then i don't we don't really have uh the optimal space for one although the park less than a mile away has a giant bat house that has several thousand bats in it it's amazing i got my best friend a bat house for christmas awesome. just last year and she was thrilled yeah, yeah we have some I was, bats that... i was impressed by how many bats like fit in mm-hmm. we have bats yeah. that roost in the tree that's like next to our house so you know that's a much better home than i could provide for them <laughs> so yeah yeah and yes uh having just seen cujo i feel obligated to say uh if you ever get bit by a bat please get a rabies shot yes just yes they tend yes. to, they are so adorable, but they do tend to have uh, rabies in higher numbers than other many other animals mm-hmm. that are prone to bite humans. So, just also, also if you have long hair, keep your hat on. Mm-hmm. Truth. 
that I tried to take my hat off when I was a kid and that was flying around. I didn't do that at all. Oh my gosh. (laughs) I was fine. My mom yelled at me to put my hat back on. Uh, And now see, all I can think of is Meredith in the office. I am not an office person. I don't get this reference. Oh, there's a scene in the office where there's a bat in the office and uh, one of the characters comes out of the bathroom and Dwight covers her head with a giant plastic bag and the bat gets trapped in there and oh god <laughs> oh no, oh, no. Love it. that's fantastic um yeah i think for how many things well first as a comment on bat things is that uh and just kind of continuing the conversation there i'm always i'm always been waiting for a batman film to address the likelihood that everybody he brings into the back cave needs to get rabies shots and they never talk about it i was like please do this just once i think it'd be so fun anyway uh beyond that i would rate this film i would say also seven maybe seven and a half out of ten things just because i i love this conversation so good and also i'm want to see where uh well knowing where the franchise goes is just such an adorable franchise and love that this is a good foundation for it um favorite moment i have a least favorite moment i'll just say that which is a zing i really it always really creeps me out whenever there's like a sort of implication that you can just know who your soulmate is just by looking at the person and suddenly your whole life is planned out and that just creeps me out the whole imprinting thing in twilight like wherever it shows up it creeps me out yeah there's some purity culture stuff which we talk about in um I think both Eclipse and Breaking Dawn Part 1. I think Eclipse, we talk a lot about purity culture. But yeah. Um, I think I would go, and I might be skewing, it might be skewing just because I'm comparing it to Twilight and Fashion of the Christ and, like, other terrible ones. But I think I would go with an 8 out of 10 um, fangs for this. My favorite kill was the accidental death of the fake human in the village when the like head mask oh, got knocked yeah. off. That was good. And then Dracula like puts it back on and puts the mask back on. Um, but apart from that, I really love the the scenes on top of the roof of the hotel, and like it was completely unrealistic the way that the like sunrise thing, if you can see the sun, the sun can see you. So mm. like, don't try that at home vampires, but I love <laughs> that space. And like growing up in the mountains, like being able to look at the stars at night and just to be on the top of something and looking around and seeing such expansiveness is always going to be one of my favorite things. Well, and- I, I loved that moment too. And just like this idea of being able to experience something for the first time. Like just yeah. like a really beautiful moment. And it makes me think of the vampire interview, the vampire too. And he sees it on the theater for the first time. But... Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was thinking about that when we were watching it. It's like, oh, mm-hmm. cool. well, uh, thank you again so much, Justin. This has been fantastic. Uh, do you, have any um social media handles any projects anything like that you want our listeners to find you at or tune into deathwork website at we cross the threshold.com um or on instagram at thresholds underscore eol um just uh 
check out more. Uh, awesome. Thank, yeah. Yeah. Thank you again so much. And um, maybe, like I said, maybe we'll have to have you back on. Well, I would love to have you back on if you're willing to talk about this more in detail on a mini-sode sometime. So maybe in the fall, we'll plan something. Or for an actual like horror movie, since you actually like horror movies. That too, yeah. <laughs> yep, yep. Uh, well, speaking of actual horror movies, our next one. Is, look at that transition. That was gold. You have to admit. I'm so proud um, of you. I know. So <laughs> our next movie is an is is aside from Passion of the Christ, I think the scariest movie we have we're covering this season, Thirty Days of Night based off of a graphic novel which is also a very creepy graphic novel so uh, check that out next week our last movie we're covering this season um, before retrospectives yeah and that's it for our show our theme music was by matt may who along with pace edited this episode horror nerds at church releases every thursday please comment rate and subscribe to us on apple podcasts google podcasts stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts Support us on Patreon and get access to exclusive movie commentary episodes, VooTube episodes, and more bonus content by going to patreon.com slash horrornerdsatchurch. It's only $5 to sign up, way cheaper than a stay at Hotel Transylvania. <laughs> Follow us on social media, Facebook and Instagram at horrornerdsatchurch, and Twitter at HNACpod for all the latest updates and upcoming for all the latest updates about upcoming films, news, and other announcements. Until next time, until next time, keep singing sweet lullabies to your baby vampires. Aww, so cute. Love it.